Hey listeners, and welcome back to another Game of Thrones recap on the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Aaron, and here with me again to discuss Season 8, Episode 5, The Bells, are Aaron Huntley. Bienvenidos. And Jeremy Calcara. Hello. All right, guys, well, let's just get right into it, shall we? Because as always, there's plenty to talk about in this episode, and we could be here all night if we don't limit ourselves a little bit. So I want to get your initial thoughts. I think that one of the most interesting things is that first reaction that we all have when we're watching the episode. And I think, unfortunately for us, most of us are watching it either alone or maybe with a significant other, but not in a big group party, like a, a watch party of, of any kind like that, where the emotion sort of in the room kind of can overtake you. I think you can have a lot different experience when you're by yourself. So what was your initial reaction to this episode? Jeremy, I guess we'll start with you and we'll go from there. In short, my initial reaction was, eh, oh, eh. I don't, I, it wasn't as bad as last week. I don't feel like it recovered, but I wasn't as angry or whatever. It was, it was fine. I'll say that. Aaron, what about you? Did anything stick out to you right off the bat other than specific plot points that might have, you know, affected you? The cinematography was absolutely breathtaking. Um, and the sound mixing, they did a really great job with it. I mean, as anybody that follows me on Twitter knows, the big thing that stuck out to me was why the heck aren't any of these people wearing helmets? But uh, that's just the internal safeties are in me. I like, like Jeremy said, you know, I think that the episode it was probably one of the better, if not the best, one of the season so far. But I don't know if that's saying much. I definitely, I didn't leave as angry as last week. But then again, the like sexual assault is always going to make me angrier than stereotypical tropes. But I still felt like this episode was it just it's just it all feels very lazy. Just feels very lazy. Yeah, well, I guess I had a little bit of a different response then, because for me, I was pretty much blown away by this one and came away with the initial feeling that I really loved it. I had to do some thinking on that over the course of the last 24 hours, and I've had some conversations and really dug into it, watched it a second time, and I still feel like I love this episode. I think for me, it's probably the second best episode behind episode two. I really enjoyed the buildup in episode two a lot, and it was just all character work there, but you guys nailed it. The sound mixing and specifically the cinematography, this is one of the most gorgeous spectacles of the entire series. There are so many shots in this that I would love to either just have a gif of on repeat or put on my desktop wallpaper. That, that scene where Drogon is emerging from the darkness behind Danny right before Varys's execution is, oh my goodness gracious. It is just immensely For me, powerful. It was, it was that shot of the Cleganes coming together with the dragon blowing fire and the, like the keep crumbling around them. There are a few shots from that scene that are just absolutely breathtaking i would say the cinematography and i know everybody complained about it being too dark but there were a few shots in the battle of winterfell episode that i found were absolutely breathtaking too and both of them were directed by miguel so he does a great job yeah it, i think that one shot where the hound is looking up the steps at the mountain is that yeah. the one you're talking about with the dragon off in the background oh my goodness um it is it's it's another one that you could just snapshot and put on your wallpaper Pretty much every shot it's the of... the background of my computer right now. <laughs> exactly. Oh, see? You've already done it. 
Tyrion walking through the carnage and the dead bodies in the Red Keep was a really powerful moment and scene when Drogon swoops in and takes out the Iron Fleet. Pretty much anything with Drogon flying around in this episode, panning around the city from an aerial view, looked amazing. And when that wildfires were popping off in the midst of the the dragon fire, it just looked phenomenal. Uh, and I and I really really enjoyed it from a visual standpoint. Yeah, I guess. This episode, we're going to try and walk through chronologically, because last week we forgot to talk about Starbucks coffee cup, and we don't want to forget things like that again. No, really, that's not really that important of a thing to miss. But we do want to make sure we don't skip over anything important uh, if we get into brief rants and forget. And this will help keep us on track. So let's just go for it. And the opening of this episode, I personally really enjoyed. So there's a whole section that is dedicated to Varys. And we know from the last episode at the end of it that he was having a bit of a disagreement with Tyrion as to what they should do with the knowledge of Jon's true lineage. Right off the bat here, we see Varys writing letters about Jon's parentage. It actually mirrors the letters that Ned Stark was writing in episode one when he was uh, writing to, I believe, Stannis about Jaime's uh, true sibling nature of his relationship with Cersei. We get a really interesting little scene. I'm not sure if you guys caught it in the moment or if you found out about it on social media after the fact, but uh, Marta, one of his little birds, is coming into his chambers, to the door, and they have this great little conversation that essentially alludes to the fact that Varys might be trying to poison Danny. I think in the moment I didn't catch it, because we didn't quite realize the depth of what Varys was trying to do yet. But once we get further into this scene, in hindsight, we realize, oh yeah, that must have been what those two were going for. He tries to convince Jon of you know, being the king, essentially, and giving up his support for Danny. He's very blunt about it at this moment as they're walking up to um, Dragon... What is it? Dragonstone? Is that what it's called? And I really just respected him, I guess is what I would say. I thought that his character actions made a lot of sense for him. I believe that he is one of the most admirable people in the entire realm because he truly wants what is best for the world and the people of the world. And regardless of who sits on the throne or who has a so-called right to the throne, he just wants the people to be ruled fairly and justly. And he actually throws out a really great line. John says something like, that is her decision to make. She is our queen. When Varys challenges him and he comes back and he says, men decide where power lies, whether or not they know it. And that was a, a pretty interesting uh, line of dialogue that actually has shown and proven to be quite true, not only in our own world, of course, but also in Westeros. Um, I really just admired the fact that he put it all on the table. And honestly, Varys shows the most balls of any of the men in this entire story to this point. <laughs> and there is an interesting little irony to that. I thought that his death scene was super emotional. I got choked up right away when Tyrion went up to him and they had their goodbye. The way that Varys speaks 
his he's just so full of honor. He says, I hope I deserve this. Truly, I do. I hope I am wrong. Goodbye, old friend. And of course, he's not wrong. Um, he was absolutely right, as we see. And then, yeah, and then he dies. And it sucks. Um, but it happens really fast. And I was going to ask you guys, do you think it would hurt to die by dragon fire? Or do you think it would burn up really fast? I'm pretty sure that it would be very similar to just being set on fire to where your nerve endings are done at that point, And you really have no idea. Like they're just given the, the heat that would be coming at you. I would assume that you're, you can't feel anything past that for a second. I was thinking about this a lot today, which is dumb, but I, I was thinking about it a lot today. And I, when he, when Drogon breathes fire on like the walls, it makes the whole wall explode. So I don't know if, does he have different levels of heat, you know? Does he just set I stuff on fire? So. Does he, is he like Superman has like to the rescue speed and also has like cruising with Lois speed and stuff like that? Does he have that sort of, that flame uh, variance that he can go with, whether he wants somebody to feel something for a while or whether he wants something to be just destroyed quickly? Well, and then also don't forget that like, and again, I don't know if dragons age in like dog years or what, but he's like maybe six years old. So he's still, in my opinion, he would be like a teenager, probably like around there. However, like there is that scene in season like two, I think it is, where Arya is in that castle that's almost entirely melted and it was melted by dragon fire. So it didn't explode. The walls are literally just like half melted. So I don't know. But to your original commentary about Varys, I loved this scene. I thought it was beautifully done. Um, and the moment where Tyrion touches Varys to convey that, like, he is sorry that it had to come to this and that he warned him. The fact that Tyrion took that time to tell him, I want you to know that it was me. That I, I, I want to take ownership and responsibility for the fact that I am, I am the one that made this decision. That was beautiful. But the fact that Tyrion touched Varys is a very important thing that I think a lot of people glossed over. If you go back through the show, which I am doing casually right now, um, Varys will touch other people, but because he's a eunuch, he's kind of treated like he's this awful thing, and he does not get touched very often. He will touch other people. He will gesture like he did with Marta. He did with, um, what was the name of the prostitute that came from King's Landing in the early seasons? I feel like Ross or Rose, I think was her name. And, you know, he would gesture and comfort her, but he is not the one that gets comforted or touched. He is not somebody that people reach out to. He just is somebody that kind of exists in their surroundings. And in that moment, I felt it was very powerful for Tyrion to just reach out and, and give him one last gesture of, I mean it when I call you friend. Yeah, I can't really add anything that hasn't already been said, but I thought it was wonderful as well. My favorite scene in the episode it was a noble death by a noble man and... Yeah, the his interaction with Tyrion there was beautiful, and I loved that part, even though I was very sad to see Varys go. Yeah, I think that his and Tyrion's relationship is a kind of special one, because they are able to relate to each other in ways, as being outcasts, that Tyrion doesn't have anybody else like that. And you can see the pain and the weight of what has been happening the last few episodes, in the last few years, whatever the case may be, on the characters. Tyrion is just disheveled, this entire sequence. And Danny, when she's up there in her room refusing to come out, and we learn that she isn't eating, 
Her eyes are black and just there's circles under them and her face, like her lips are chapped. I mean, she looks rough. Yeah, but I have a problem with that. Oh, what's your problem with that? I have a problem with the fact that out of nowhere, they're trying to show her sanity just deteriorating. Like, I get it. Again, I have no problem with the fact that she turned into the Mad Queen. And I'm sure we'll go. We'll have continued conversations about this throughout the rest of this episode. I have no problem with the fact that she ended up fulfilling certain destinies or prophecies or anything along those lines. And I think that they were attempting to show that she's grieving and it came off in a, to me personally, it just came off in a very different light. It like, I feel like it was supposed to be her grieving, especially with that scene that follows with her and Grey Worm. And it just came off because she was talking. I think it was the way that she was just talking to Tyrion was, She's just she's slowly losing her mind. And I I have a big, big problem with this only because if they had started this a season and a half ago, I wouldn't have this issue. But they showed her distrusting the way that people were in love with John two episodes ago. And then all of a sudden it was like, hey, you know, that seven seasons of never harming innocent people that you've done and, you know, freeing slaves and your dragons killed one one child and so you locked him in a cage for goodness knows how long yeah i've also figured out that time means absolutely nothing this show anymore they have no concept of time structures at all but like she until the tarly she had never actually used her dragons to do anything but inspire fear and awe in people until she started actually using them as a weapon that was when like they should have shown a much pull of character development that showed her losing her mind besides just being angry and killing the Tarleys. And then all of a sudden it was like, Oh, we're in the North. Do you guys love Jon Snow? I hate this. I'm sad. I'm angry. Well, it just felt it just, everything feels very rushed and I understand it feels that way, yes. but I just wish that if this was the way that they had always intended her character to end, then it should have started a se- at least a season and a half ago. In a perfect world. I agree. And I, I've got more thoughts on that as well about how rushed it is and how it's affecting it. I think Perhaps they didn't know what they were going to be doing, and that's part of the problem here that differs where you're adapting the material. You can have foresight into how your character acts in season seven that's going to inform that final moment in season episode, you know, eight, episode five. If you don't know how your story is going to play out yet fully, then it's hard to build that stuff in to the earlier episodes. And, and that might have been what they ran into here. Yeah, but I just feel like there were so many things that were uncharacteristically her that it just didn't line up. Like, in my opinion, Daenerys, yes, she would 100% seek vengeance in this moment. And it makes sense that she's upset. And that moment where she's on the dragon and she hears the bells and you can just see her face just slowly fill with rage. The way that she reacts after that makes that rage look more like a temper tantrum. When I, what I wish she had done is taken Drogon and targeted where she knew Cersei was 100%. Well, like let's... she gets so close to the Red Keep and then doesn't do anything with it. Right. Let, let's hold off because we're not there yet. And and sorry, I will completely fight you on that let's thought right it. there and reason. So, so let's get there. But let's go. Let's go on our journey to getting to that point uh, because there is a little bit of character changing here that happens. So you mentioned, you know, Danny and Grey Worm, right? In that next moment where it seems like they're having this collective you know sadness over Masande's death and she gives him the collar symbolizing this keepsake 
that was the only thing that the Sunday owned, and then he throws it in the fire. I thought that was awesome. Uh, a great kind of gesture by him to not keep that. I thought that was really cool. And John walks in. And so then this is where the turn starts because, or not starts, but this is where it, it kind of, the light switch goes off or flips completely in my opinion. She gives him that line. She says, far more people in Westeros love you than love me. I don't have love here. I only have fear. And as soon as she went to kiss him and she asked him, you know, do you love me? And he said, yes, I love you, my queen. I was like, oh boy, you are in trouble. Because the way that he responds to her is like he's kissing his aunt. And oh my goodness gracious, the look on her face and when she backs away from him, I don't know if you guys caught it, but like she gives him this very slight head shake of disapproval, like almost shifting from hurt into anger, into like just being mad that he would do such a thing. And I think this is that moment, of course, where it's pushing her over the edge because she's now losing John's love as well. And she says, all right, then let it be fear. There, There is no question about how she's going to react when she gets the chance, in my opinion, from this moment forward. Like this, this was very clear to me how it was going to go. Um, at least that's how I took it. I, how did that scene play out for you guys? Jeremy, what about you? It made me laugh. I was thinking it was a fun little nature versus nurture moment because John is a Targaryen, right? But he's raised by the Starks. And Targaryens have no problems with, sure, I'll marry my aunt, whatever. That's no big deal. But he can't get over it because he was raised by Starks. So I guess in the world of GOT, nature or nurture wins out over nature. It's just a stupid me thing laughing during that scene. But I agree with you that once that scene happened, I knew that she was going to go nuts. I don't believe we'll get into the actual content of her going nuts and what i thought about that later but it was definitely decent foreshadowing as to what her decision was going to be later in the episode when the gates came down and the bells rung i think that it was an important moment and i think that it definitely rings true to what jeremy is saying about how to her it's preserving a bloodline it's just natural it's normal in her family for this to happen for John, there's nothing more abnormal than something like that. I think that the moment where uh, Grey Worm throws the collar into the fire, um, you were talking about like that was a nice gesture of him not to keep it for her. I thought it, it was more foreshadowing for the fact that she was just going to burn everything. So, I mean, her relationship with Grey Worm, they both are grieving. They both lost somebody that they, they held dear to their hearts. And again, I don't have a, I mean, I, I don't want to say I don't have a problem with her murdering innocent civilians, but I just have a problem with the fact that it just feels very rushed. It, it felt like there was no real reasoning behind it. And I know everybody's going to be like, oh, well, madness has no reasoning. But Danny's character has always had, even when she burned the Tarleys alive, she had reason behind it. So, okay. okay. So explain to me how an arc of progressive loss does not equal going mad. I mean, I, I guess that's I what I'm not. That. I never said but that. But what you're, you're saying I it's just not. Said, like an episode or two ago, she had all, she had lost a bunch of stuff. She had lost. She literally has had a history of loss throughout her entire show. 
And I get that the thought of like losing John's love is a hard thing and losing Masande is a hard thing. But at the end of the day, if her life has been marked by loss and yet she does nothing but overcome it and she has a history of winning people over because she overcomes it, I just don't see her throwing it all away in this one moment because some dudes spurn her. I think you're putting way too much weight on this one moment. I agree with you that it's rushed. And I think that the only way to look at it, I think there's two ways to approach the rest of Game of Thrones, honestly, from here on out. And really from the last couple episodes on out is we all know it's rushed. We all know we're not going to get 10 episodes plus of character development, that things are going to be condensed into these moments that aren't our perfect example of it. So we can wish for that. But within the context of it being rushed, we're still getting the moments. They're happening over the course of less episodes, but we are getting the character development pieces that drive us forward in the plot. They're not out of nowhere like people keep claiming or un, you know, like they're not, they don't not make sense. They do make sense. They just aren't what people wanted. It's not that it doesn't, it's not that it doesn't make sense and it's not that I didn't want that because it does nothing but like you said, further the story or further the plot. I just felt like the entire burning of King's Landing was outside of her character. Not necessarily that she wouldn't have vengeance, not necessarily that she wouldn't destroy that army. 100% think that that is a valid use for Drogon, for them to go to battle and to do these things. And even when the bells went off, like there's that moment where Drogon like flies down and scares the people because she's sitting there thinking about what she's going to do next. Yeah, it's terrifying. But it's, yeah, it's absolutely terrifying. That is still fear. Like, and to me, like, there is that, there is a fear there that is 100% realized within those people because of the damage that she has already done. Innocent people has, have already died, not just soldiers at that point. What feels uncharacteristic, again, I'm, I definitely see her becoming the Mad Queen. That was bound to happen. We can talk about my theories about Arya and her later. But I just feel like she would have been very targeted in her decisions after that. Again, she has a history of loss and I get it. You know, everybody reaches that breaking point. I just don't see her breaking point not being targeted at the person who has caused her pain. I guess here's my point is that it's not about Cersei. It's not about getting back at John for not being in love with her. I, you did at least hit on where I feel is the whole point of this is that she needs the people to fear her because she knows that winning this war is not enough anymore. Because if she wins this war, John is still alive. John will hold the love of the people. No matter what happens here, John will hold the love of the people and all she will have is fear. And ultimately she has to overcome that. And she believes in that moment, in a mixture of rage and true belief and, and also partially her, you know, bloodline, essentially, it all comes together to make her feel like she has to destroy the city in order to make them see that she is absolutely, without shadow of a doubt, that she has to be feared more than John is loved. That's the way that I see this happening. And that's the reason I totally bought it. I guess I've been on this thread for a while now. I've been waiting for this moment and thinking it was going to happen pretty much like this. I, I, as soon as they mentioned it, I thought for sure she'd do this task and burn everybody to death. I loved it for that reason. But I, I, so I get what you're saying, but I, I just, I feel like it's in the story so strongly, even if it is rushed. But I, I don't know. Jeremy, what do you think about 
Danny's heel turn because we're obviously already here. We'll we'll get back on track after this, but it doesn't really matter. So since we're talking about it, are you closer to Aaron or Aaron? Um, I'm closer to Aaron. Oh, he like, he agrees with Aaron. me. Oh man, no, no, no I think I, I agree with a little bit of both of you. I think in order for me to come away from Game of Thrones enjoying this final season. I'm going to have to concentrate on where people end up versus instead of how they got there, because how they got there is going to be too rushed. They needed two 10 episode seasons minimum to do this correctly. That's obvious now. Looking at it like that, and I don't hate what Danny did, but I do see better ways that that could have happened to me. It's a pretty big heel turn to just destroy the city. To me, it's a little bit more of a logical heel turn to maybe go to the Red Keep and destroy Cersei, even though like she has many human shields around her. Not destroying the whole city, but still doing something monstrous would feel more nat- like a natural progression to me than what happened. But again, I think it's m- going to be more important to have enjoyment of this last season to think about where people end up versus how they got there. And I think that, honestly, I I probably wouldn't have as much of a problem with this if she had targeted Cersei first and then realized she got no satisfaction out of Cersei's death and then was like, okay, like, it's not enough. I need more, which is what, like, actually, like, the Mad King just kept Mm -hmm. burning his enemies alive and was like, burn them all, burn them all. So I think that I wouldn't have had as much of a problem if she had gone where her original source of rage for being in the city is, realized that wasn't enough and that people were still going to love John more if that's the thread that you want to follow and then punish the people for that. I just feel like that would have been more toward like true toward Daenerys's character. That's just me personally. Yeah, I, I could see that. I, I will admit that I wanted nothing more in that moment than the beautiful cinematography and shot of Drogon from behind in a first person point of view with Danny on him heading directly at that red tower and blasting Cersei off the map. Like, I mean, I wanted that shot so badly. I didn't even think about like the characters involved. I just wanted to see the dragon going at one single person in a window, you know, and shooting his fire into that. I thought it would have been, Oh, it would have looked amazing. Um, even beyond the, you know, character development part of it, of course, <laughs> or character death part of it. We can come back if we need to. I, I want to get back on to where we were pushing through the story. So Tyrion goes in and he tries to talk some sense into Danny, uh, who is telling them that she wants to burn the city. Her position, she tells him, is that it is merciful to future generations to kill today, which will save them long term from tyranny. He, this is where he first begs her to listen for the bells ringing to call off the attack. And she also ends up warning him in this moment that if he fails her again, it'll be the last time. I wondered if you guys had any thoughts on her logic here. She's basically saying that it's okay to kill the people that exist in the now so that future generations can grow up free and clear of having to live under a tyrant meaning Cersei's rule. Um, this is another moment of pushing forward, in my opinion, towards that complete madness, because to me that sounds like utter insanity. Did you guys agree with her at all, maybe? I mean, I think this is a long 
running thing where I've always had a problem with the storyline and I have a problem with this idea throughout history of for the greater good. I had a problem with it when Dumbledore did it. I have a problem with it just in general. It's not something that I like because people are people consistently think that they know better and that they know what's best for the future instead of figuring out what the people need here and now that are right in front of them that are going to be directly affected. I don't know. It's 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 hard. Like I see why she would think that, but that doesn't make it justifiable. If that makes sense. It made sense in my head. It's Hydra logic to me of thinking of Captain America and the Winter Soldier. Let's destroy them before they can destroy us rather than giving people an opportunity to embrace whatever it is, the change that's going to come. Sure, people are going to react negatively, but you need to give people a chance to react negatively and not punish them preemptively, uh, which to me is tyranny. Yeah, which would be the irony of her saying it in the first place, that she's calling it something out as tyranny that she is actually proposing herself. She's actually saying it to Tyrion, which is also a little bit fun. <laughs> if you look, if you like name and wordplay. So after this, you know, she again warns Tyrion that she won't allow him to fail her again. It'll be his last. And he immediately goes and fails her right after that. He, he leaves. He goes and finds Davos and says he's going to ask him for a favor. We don't know what at that moment. We get a quick shot of Arya and the Hound who are off to kill Cersei. Fun little scene where the guard stops them and asks them where they're going. And Arya's like, I'm going to go kill Queen Cersei right now. And he's like, um, I don't know if I could let you do that. And the hound's like, um, yeah, you can. It's all good. She's going to go in the war. So we're going to leave now and you just go tell your captain. <laughs> and, and they just trot off past the guards. So the guards pretty much suck, but it was, it was fun. Tyrion goes in and he meets with Jamie. And this was, Another one of my like top two or three favorite moments of the episode. He ends up having this conversation with him, talks to Jamie about how he got caught due to his um, golden arm. He drops a couple lines here that are really stung. He talks about how he's hoping to save tens of thousands of innocent lives. And he says one not particularly innocent dwarf is the other option so if he loses his life he feels that it's completely valid and worthy in order to save those tens of thousands of innocents just more fuel for me absolutely loving his character and the heart that he has come to exhibit over time and then there's a beautiful showing of brotherly love where he reminds jamie of how jamie was the only reason that he survived his childhood and he says you were the only one who didn't treat me like a monster. And I like honestly started choking up as they hugged it out because I, I think we all knew in that moment that that was going to be it. That regardless of what took place and how it went down, these two characters weren't going to see each other anymore. And it was a, a final reunion shot. And there's just something just really emotionally gripping about that. I thought that this was... Like, you guys love that scene with Varys, and don't get me wrong, it was beautiful, but I think this was probably one of my favorite moments. I've always enjoyed the back and forth that Tyrion and Jaime have had, because they feel, they don't ever feel like brothers, but they don't ever feel like best friends either. Um, it's like they're a happy medium between, it's like they're good cousins. There's a camaraderie that's there that Jaime always wanted a brother, regardless, like he has a you know, his weird love affair with a sister, but it's like Tyrion, like there's a thing between men, I would assume. Like there's a sim there's a sense of camaraderie that he has with the fact that 
no matter what happens, he's still his little brother. Like no matter how the world treats him, no matter how his father treated him, Tyrion will always be his little brother. And like he says, you know, you're the only one that never treated me like a monster. And I think that it, it harkens back to like even season like two, um, but like when you see Tyrion and, uh, Jamie, but like if you go, I think it's season four when Jamie returns to King La- King's Landing after he's lost his arm. Um, and with Tyrion setting Jamie up to train with Braun in privacy, like they're just those moments, they're these sweeter moments that have happened throughout the entire series between the two of them. But like you said, there's this, there's a sense of finality in this moment where both of them know that either when they go back, Cersei's gonna kill Jamie because they already know that she sent Braun to kill them both. Either that or he'll die by dragon fire or Tyrion will die by dragon fire. So they know that no matter the outcome of this battle, no matter the outcome of who sits on that iron throne, the likelihood is, is that they will never see each other again. There is beautiful closure in this moment. We actually get full closure with a character arc. Like it is a very well done between the two of them. I very much enjoyed this. I want everybody listening to mark down the timestamp on the episode right now that this was the one moment <laughs> in the four episodes we do where Aaron gave complete props to the writers for closing out a character arc correctly. Now, I, I agree with you wholly. I mean, and I think it's sort of infuriating in a way, too, because we see what a perfect character arc closure can feel like. And it's what we wanted for all of them, right? And it's no one... Watching this show, no one talking about this show hates it and is doing so because they're, they want to just be miserable all day. I jokingly said that to a friend today, but we know that the, we're all watching it hoping for these to happen and just praying for that. Cause that's what we've had earlier on in the show. And that's what we want more of now here at the end. And it is nice to at least have them pay off once or twice, even if it's not constantly as much as we wanted. So I love this. Uh, after this is when we shift and we really just spend our time going into the battle. This was honestly 30 minutes. I checked the timestamp. The episode's about 90 minutes total. And it was, this was 30 minutes of it was this kind of setup piece. And then at this moment, we move towards getting ready to go after King's Landing. There is a ton of great tension building, I think, in these scenes as they prepare the offensive, the score is wonderful. There's, a, I don't even know what the piece is called, but there is whatever the track is. It's awesome. Just watching the build up. And then we get Drogon, the OP dragon that is beginning the fight. And I, I'm just going to let you guys tell me what you thought about this battle sequence going all the way from Drogon going to the Iron Fleet all the way to the doors getting blown down and really just everything up to Danny's uh, decision to burn them after they've given up. What did you like about this, Jeremy? I may be in the minority, but I really feel like Drogon's attack on the Iron Fleet redeemed a bit of last week where I don't remember the other dragon's name because I'm a bad fan, where he was shot and killed by the dragons. Rhaegal. Rhaegal, after that scene, you kind of started to think, well, maybe these dragons aren't as bad as uh, we thought they were going to be. Maybe they can be taken down. Maybe this isn't as a, I don't know, we just sort of started questioning their strength and their power. But seeing Drogon 
be able to swerve in and out and maneuver around those scorpion things when he's prepared for them to me redeemed the dragons and made last week's scene not seem so out of place and awful i really liked the part where they're sort of standing in silence right outside the gates until drogon explodes them and comes flying out and everybody goes rushing into the city i thought that was really well done just really really tense on the edge of your seat stuff and again like you said the score just wonderful everything about that scene to me was perfect I think that this is a great way to open the battle. Um, you know, you're on chilling on his ships and it was almost like you said, um, Danny had a moment where she's like, I'm not going to screw this up again. I'm not going to miss again. And she took them all out very, very quickly, which also, I mean, it does feel rushed. And I understand that, Aaron, I am accepting the fact that this is all rushed, but these scorpions were supposed to be the end all be all. And in like a matter of two minutes, all of the ones in the entire city are gone. Now watching it though was beautiful. Like ev- like it was art. It was art in motion. I find it very funny that the leader of the gold company was given a character name and I think like one or two lines from the first episode this season when you meet him and then he's just gone. Like he's just chilling up there ready to start the battle and then all of a sudden he's just set on fire. So it's like what was the point of giving him any <laughs> any credence? But I thought that this was a great setup for the entire build now i know like i said i i don't want to say i hate it on the episode because like i said i didn't hate the episode i just didn't love the episode but i was on my seat for the entire thing so i like this did a great job just i mean just like the battle of when i was actually probably more tense for this than i was for the winterfell battle they did a beautiful job of building the tension having those small moments of pause within it so that it wasn't just all carnage all the time. So I thought he did a great job of connecting the dots between multiple storylines. There were a lot of callbacks to other episodes in the series that I absolutely loved. There were several moments that were just like Bob, and I thought that was very, very beautifully done. Oh, for those, you know, Bob, uh, Battle of the Bastards. There were moments that I think that were not only just beautifully directed, but beautifully shot. Um, There was a lot of moments where we saw citizens of... King's Landing. And I thought that was very important, not just to focus on the two armies that were coming together, but to focus on the citizens that were going to be affected by this regardless. Um, so I thought I thought it was a very well shot opening battle scenes. Yeah, I, I adored it from the start when Drogon flies in to just demolish the Iron Fleet. I thought it looked incredible, of course, and that's part of what keeps us on that tense um, feeling that along with the score to your point about the scorpions i will say this i feel like this is the first time we've seen some actual tactics that make sense i think that danny has learned her lesson and if you actually watch closely and i made sure to pay attention to this the second time around drogon comes in at an angle where those scorpions are not pointed at him and she only has to dodge like one and they have to reconfigure them and move them. And they are heavy and they are not mobile pieces of armory that are able to do that quickly. And especially not at the level that can keep up with an agile dragon flying around. And so she is able to now not be caught off guard and have the jump on them. And it's quickly able to take them out. And I think that that's the key here. When she takes them out on the towers, she comes at them from the side. She's not coming at them head on where they can hit her. There's no way for them to shoot Drogon because of the angles that she approaches. And I thought that was pretty brilliant. I also thought the tactical way in which they entered the keep was 
pretty brilliant too and and just totally different than what we saw them attempt in the other battles that they've fought. They wait for her to come below those doors open, you know, torching a vast majority of the Golden Company and then immediately charge in to them during the chaos. And and they're able to and they use their cavalry effectively, right? They're they're running backwards, they're freaking out, they don't know what they're doing, they just send the cavalry in and charge onto them. I thought it was awesomely done and really really well shot as well um a lot of fun to watch one thing i noticed the captain you're talking about i don't remember his name either um even though they did give him one his when name is harry strickland is, <laughs> does is, not sound like wait a game of in the game of like the yeah. actor's name or the no, character the character's name is harry strickland that can't be right that has to be an inside joke or something i have no idea it's what it lists on imdb that is ridiculous um, <laughs> harry house of strickland i don't know but um when he gets blown off his horse his horse ends up in a very specific shot. It's the only thing in the frame, and it's laying on the ground, and it's got some blood, and it begins to be covered in ash, and it's dark. And I can't tell for sure if it's supposed to be dead, or if perhaps it's that white horse that also was covered in ash that shows up later at the end of the film for Arya. I don't know if there's a connection to be made there, if it is his horse, but it, it was a white horse that was at the beginning of the battle that definitely would possibly be the one that shows back up, you know, could be in there looking for him. I don't know. It was just something that they, it was interesting that they lingered on it and gave us a certain shot of the horse being blown off by itself. I just didn't know why they would have done that otherwise. Um, yeah, I thought that they, everything was just super awesome with the rush into the battle, uh, watching Drogon do his stuff and watching Cersei try to convince herself that she could still win going through the list of things with uh, Kyburn up in the tower. And she's like, the golden company will, will be fine. And he's like, no, they're, they're beat. And she's like, well, it's okay. We have the iron fleet in Blackwater Bay. And he's like, no, they're destroyed. <laughs> and it's just one thing after another. And she keeps kind of, you can see it unwinding for her that realization that she's going to lose. And I thought that was really well played. Lena Hetty, is it Hetty? Is that how we say her last name? She is maybe the best overall performance in the entire show for me. The 100%. Series. Okay. The fact good. that she has not been nominated or won an Emmy, I don't understand. The entire series, she has been consistent. I love it so much. Yeah, she's amazing. And the way she shows that kind of mental recognition while trying to wear the strength of that queenness at the same time. It's amazingly acted. It's sort of tragic, but also awesomely funny at the same time for us because we know she's losing and we want her to lose. There's so many emotions that it brings out in me. And I liked that a lot. And then we got to that standoff and that standoff scene was so good like waiting for the bells to ring before we, if you can go back to that moment before you knew what Danny was going to do or before she did it. And we're waiting to see if the bells ring and the golden company is standing there and gray worm and John are standing there and they're facing off. And the moment he drops his sword to surrender, I cheered. Like I actually audibly was excited in my seat because I was like, yes, they're going to complete this. That's so awesome. It's it's great to see them recognize that. 
And conversely, even though I wasn't surprised when Danny went nuts and started burning everybody after that, Grey Worm's reaction, while I understood it, did surprise me, caught me off guard, I guess I should say. And my, my jaw dropped open at the pure anger in which he gleefully picks up his spear and chucks it through that guy's chest. I thought that was an awesome moment, just just from a storytelling standpoint, kind of realizing Grey Worm is with Danny to the end, no matter what, that they're in this rage together. And I thought for a brief second that John was going to do what probably would have been the right thing and kill him. There's a moment where John hesitates and they stare each other down. And, and I really thought, like, okay, they're going to go at it. And, of course, they don't because John doesn't do anything in battle until somebody attacks him and then he defends himself and runs away. <sighs> but for another day. Anywho, I really enjoyed that battle scene and the way that it all played out. Uh, did you guys particularly like that or not like that, Aaron? What about you? I thought it was smart. Um, I actually would feel the opposite as I think that his reaction makes more sense for his character than hers. I feel like there is a moment where he has a choice to make and he are, it's like he already knows what Danny's choice is going to be. So he, he's in it. And at that point, they've both lost the woman that they love. So it's one of those things where I don't think that it's completely, it's, it's all he has. Danny, Danny has loved and lost. I totally understand that. But Grey Worm was a nothing but a robot until Masande came around. Like he did not know how to think, how to feel. He did not know that he was allowed to do any of those things. He had one ray of light in his life and it was taken away from him. So now his goal was to take the ray of light away from anybody else. Right, John is just absolutely useless. I really liked how it was set up for even the bells to not really release that tension because over and over before the battle started, you had Tyrion saying to first to Danny, if they ring the bells, you know, it's okay. Let's stop. They ring the bells and open the gates. Let's stop. And then he says it to John and whoever else was listening right before the battle. And he never got like a, yeah, sure. That's, that's definitely what we're going to do. And so it's like you're waiting for those bells, but even when they happen, it doesn't relieve this tension at all. And I thought it was just the edge of the seat absolutely wonderful well after that we move to a scene with jamie and Euron. and personally i don't really want to linger on this too much i did not like this at all this is probably the maybe the least favorite moment in the entire episode for me i thought Euron should have died in the blast on his boat like the stupid annoying pirate that he is and i, I mean i would have been glad if Euron never was in this show at all. Like, I just didn't find any value added by his character, and especially not his character arc, now that we know how it ends. For him to beat Jamie in a fight when Jamie was healthy, I thought was ridiculous. Utterly ridiculous. And if he had killed Jamie, which for a second we are led to believe he is going to do, I think I would have raged and maybe thrown something at my television. I would have been so angry uh so does anybody did anybody did you like this scene i guess i should ask or did you guys feel like i did hated it i actually kind of thought it was 
it, well, I don't think it was a good scene, but I thought it was 100% true to Euron's character. Euron is a freaking psychopath. He's a psychopath and a sociopath. Like, the fact that he managed to survive all of this, he is not the kind of person that runs away from anything with his tail between his legs. Um, I don't think he actually has a thought towards self-preservation, and Cersei actually comments on that more than once in the show, ever since she meets him. So he never knows when to hold his tongue. He says what's on his mind. He approaches the thought of death gleefully and laughs at it. So it actually doesn't make, uh, it doesn't feel completely out of character for me that he goes looking for another fight, having just barely survived a fight with the dragon. I definitely always saw Jamie dying of injuries. So to me, it actually, like, I didn't think Euron would kill him, but I thought it would have been one of those things where if Jamie had gotten back to the castle and, like, managed to kill Cersei, he would have died anyway from the injuries that he sustained in that fight with Euron. So, like, for me, I had always imagined Jamie going out that way. So, to me, I never thought he was going to die at that moment because nothing was going to keep him from getting back to Cersei, period. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I didn't I didn't love the scene, but I didn't hate it with the same vitriol that you guys did because while it stuck out of the episode, I thought, like, it didn't belong in the episode, but I thought it was 100% true to Euron's character that he wanted to die with the arrogance of knowing that he's the one that killed the Kingslayer or that he's the one that won that battle against Jamie. Absolutely. I, I don't think it betrayed his character at all. I think it was 100% in line with his personality. I think the convenience of him being the only one to survive, seemingly the ships being blown to hell, and him swimming up to the perfect little island nook that Jamie happened to be at at the exact same moment, just so that they could have this little fight when they are the only two characters that have this sort of combined uh, relationship with Cersei. I don't know. It just, it felt so unrealistically pushed together, which we've talked about all episode, rushed, right? Hmm. If there was a different way for those characters to come together that maybe felt more natural, I might have not had as much of a problem with it. But it literally felt to me like it was like, oh, how are we going to pluck Euron from this magical situation out in the middle of Blackwater Bay and get him into, oh, we'll just have him swim there. But, I mean, I would love to look at a map and see how far did he actually have to swim and why is he the only person in the entire fleet that was able to do that and find this perfect little piece of beach, right? Well, you do see him, like, jump off the boat before the dragons actually Yeah, he's jumping, he's jumping and he's blown forward by the blast, of course, as, you know, in that classic action shot So was Davos. And he survived. Oh, I'm not saying he couldn't have survived. I'm just saying it's that thing where it's he's the only one who survived or and or survived and found this perfect piece of beach at the same time jamie got there you know what i mean the timing issue of all of that and the the location of that is it's storytelling that i prefer to be a little bit different but i'm glad that it didn't completely fail for you like it did for me and maybe jeremy <laughs> but after that we get the hound and aria and there is this moment before the Hound goes on to eventually confront his brother, the Mountain. And he tells Arya, he says, you don't want to be like me, you'll die here. And Arya responds to him and says, Sandor, thank you. And I am so conflicted by this, because on one hand, she uses his name, and I honestly cannot recall another time that I have heard anyone call him by his name. It may have happened, so I'm not going to claim it hasn't. But I can't remember. 
and it was really beautiful and tender. And I think it echoed the relationship he had with Sansa as well as Arya is very much parallel and it's completely unique for his character. There is nobody else that we've ever seen him interact with in his entire life in his world like the way he that he felt responsible for and the, the way that he wanted the best for those two girls. So that was super sweet. But at the same time, I was left going, come on, you have built up Arya to be this like Night King Slayer and she is like badass and I'm going in there to kill Cersei at all costs. No matter what, I'm not coming back. I'm da 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 da. And then she turns away. I get it. Emotionally speaking, it's a great scene, but she just turns away. And I don't feel like that's necessarily consistent with what we've been told about her character the last several episodes. Aaron, I see you thinking, are you going to disagree with me? Heck yes. But I actually, like, I, I see your point. I definitely do. But I think that the, that D and D, as much as I loathe them right now, have made some very specific choices with Arya's character in the last three episodes. Primarily, they, what we talked about with the Battle of, Battle of Winterfell is they're giving her way more human moments than sociopath face stealer moments. And I think that's very important here. And you're right. And to my knowledge, and I'm going back through the show now, so if I catch up, I'll let you know. But nobody calls him Sandor. Um, I think maybe Beric says it whenever he like tries to sentence him to death whenever they first run into each other. Like he says it in like a very formal setting, but with no amount of tenderness in this. But I think the important distinction here is that she sees him as a human, not as a piece, not as the hound, not as this entity which i feel like the hound is like and i say that with that you can't see me but i'm doing air quotes around the hound like it's this entity it's this being it's this rumor mill it's this it's this creature that scares little kids at night it's something that you're afraid of and sandor is a person that is trying his best to stop her from having his future because his future only has one end and it's not an end that he would could ever forgive himself for letting her fall toward and I think that the human moments start the Battle of Winterfell when he runs to her side. He in no way would ever say that she's not a competent fighter. He's seen her in action multiple times. But this is coming from somebody who had him on her list of people to kill for goodness knows how long. She stuck him with a sword and then left him to die. And yet he does nothing but want to make sure that she turns out okay. It's like that moment of like, you were the best of us. Like it's, it's that, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, totally. Like I want more for you. Can you not just accept that? And I secretly, and I think I posted it on Twitter, like right before we started this, I secretly wanted her to like follow him anyway and just make him think that she wasn't there. And whenever I know we're going to get to it in a little bit, but whenever like seriously, like walks down those steps, I wanted her to walk like straight into Arya's blade like, and have it be somewhat recalling of, like, the Red Wedding where they start by killing Talisa by stabbing her in the baby belly. Like, as much as that's super traumatic, um, I almost wanted that recall moment because that, like, the only reason why Talisa, Rob, and Catalan died is because of the Lannisters. So I almost kind of wanted that that cyclical moment. But I thought this was probably one of my favorite moments of the entire episode. Only, like, I wish that he hadn't, like, touched her face. But uh, cause I felt like that was a little too tender for the Hound. But overall, I feel like the moment between the two of them is what I have wanted, character so, arc wise. I feel like that's this, a callback. This by the nece- way. Yeah, this necessarily isn't a um, closure of their character arc, 
but I'm happy with this sense of closure that we have here. He he touched Sansa's face. As well. I know. Yeah, I no, think I do. that's I intentional. Yeah. Back, yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. Like it. I yeah, just, no, it just feels it just it feels he's brutish. He like even when he says tender, th- like every time he calls Sansa little dove, like it's not necessarily in like hello little dove. Like it's still this like. <laughs> Like this gravelly, like brutish sound. I almost kind of wish he had just like shaken that into Arya instead of had that like yeah. physically tender moment. Um, mm-hmm. But overall, I I adored the scene, and I've said it before. I'll say it till the day I die. The Hound has always been my favorite character since season one of the entire show. Well, Jeremy, what did you think of uh, Arya and the Hound's parting? This time, I am on team Aaron, the boy. I thought it was a. Nice scene, a touching scene, but it felt how dare you like a little bit of a betrayal of Arya's character for her to be just like okay and to leave once she had traveled all of that way. But I won't, I won't say that I did not enjoy the scene. Those two are my favorite pairing of the whole show, and seeing them together brings me a lot of joy. And that was a really beautiful moment for them to share together. I just don't necessarily buy that Arya would give up that easily it's a quibble but i i stand by it i'm with you aaron i will take it i, I don't will take see it, it. i don't see it as her giving it. up though like i just see it i just see her as like i'm not going to take this exact moment to kill cersei i don't see it as her just giving up on killing cersei i just see it as her literally like okay i'm not gonna follow the hound to kill cersei but that doesn't mean that cersei can't die another day like i just i don't i don't see it as her just ultimate giving up of what she's hunted for for seven seasons it is no more rushed and heel turnish than what happens to danny just saying it really isn't if you look at the way her character has acted up to that moment that's all i'm saying i'm gonna let you talk about the hound in the mountain because i know that you just said he's your favorite character and i would love to hear what you thought about the way that that all went down well first we have to talk about that moment where he just walks up those steps and he's like howdy big bro there is something that I have waited, waited and waited since season two for, and that is watching Kyburn's head explode. It was glorious. My that goodness, was, was my that satisfying? Part. That was so that good. Because it, it explodes twice. Like, we didn't get it just once. It was like couscous. It was so nice. They did it twice. Like, it was perfect. And there was that moment where Cersei had to be sure that when she passed them so that she could let this battle happen, that the mountain wasn't just going to kill her, too. So she kind of like has this moment of pause. But I thought that the first time I watched the scene of Clegane Bull, as we've colloquially come to call it, I wanted more. 100% wanted more. And I think it's just because they cut back and forth between the battle and scenes with Arya running through the city. And I thought that was a very interesting strategic directorial choice because what they did with Arya is very reflective of Battle of the Bastards. They have moments where she's struggling to breathe, struggling under the crowds of people that are trampling her. And it's reflecting back to like previous storylines and the camera, the way that they're shooting it with all the dust and the chaos, like between the two battles, it is, it's very reflective of Bob. So I thought that was a very interesting choice within that moment. But I think that they ended that choice when she had a random stranger from the crowd help her up and there was no random stranger or second person to help the hound up. So the parallels all of a sudden just break with no real reason why, unless you want to get, you know, metaphorical with it. And you're like, well, it's because the hound realizes that in the end it was always him and he's alone. And that's why he has to end it this way. 
I think that I what I wanted was I wanted a moment like when what's his name Martel is battling the mountain the first time over I think was it, it's Tyrion's Tyrion's innocence battle right to me that was a beautifully architected scene between the fight between the two of them the revenge that Martel was seeking for what happened to his siblings because of at the hound at the hand of the mountain there was a lot of tension build up and then they both died which we let's be honest we all like I, at least I did. I secretly wanted the hound to survive, but I knew he had to die. And I knew that there was going to be some symbolism in death by fire because he knew that that was the only way to truly kill whatever this monster was that used to be his brother. I, I've watched the scene three times now and I just, I think it would have been much more powerful and uh, more tension building without the Arya scene cuts. The battle's good. The fight is good. The fact that he essentially kills his brother like three times but he doesn't actually die is really well done. I think I also wanted a little bit more gore. Like I think that he could have like cut his brother's arm off or something like that. Like I wanted it to be like, like that scene in Austin to mention Austin powers again, which we tend to have a habit of doing, but that scene where he's like, why won't you die? Like I wanted it to be like that, where he's done everything humanly possible except for decapitate his brother. And I just didn't get that. Um, I would give it like a B. I don't think I didn't definitely didn't hate the fight and it was beautifully shot. Like I said, cinematography was gorgeous. Sound editing was brilliant. Um, I just wanted more and I can accept that. And I, I do not put the weight of what I expected on D and D or the directors at all. I think they made smart choices and I definitely understand why people loved this fight. I just personally wanted more. Jeremy, what about you? I think I agree for the most part. I did think it was really good. I loved a lot about it. I thought it was a little over the top some, but that was kind of what I was wanting anyway. But like Aaron, I think I would have liked to see it without the cuts in between. Uh, it would have seemed a little bit more brutal and tense, I think. But for what we got, I believe that it was everything that I had hoped it would be. It worked for me too. I, I loved it. I thought it was hilarious watching Cersei kind of like pick up her skirt and you know really quickly scamper by them <laughs> at this. I, I saw on twitter today someone put like a cersei wig on that homer gif of him just backing into the bushes that's a good one yeah because <laughs> that's what it was it's like she's like okay i'm just gonna get, go go this way and like nobody even the hound doesn't even look at her you know his eyes are locked on the mountain and of course i did not like the cuts either but we all know that i'm not a big aria fan anyway i thought that D&D's obsession with her has just gone to a ridiculous level at this point, and I'm tired of it. I So, yeah, I would have preferred You're ridiculous. Not. I know. Many people think so. I just didn't like the cuts either. I would have liked it to stay on them, and specifically because we'd waited for Cloingain Bowl for so long that fans have been clamoring for this, and I don't think that at this time we wanted to have to share that moment with anything else, and especially not just... Arya surviving insane situation after insane situation kind of thing. So I, but I did love it. I thought that the way it went down, I know that there's a line earlier in the film, another callback where Arya, I think she tells the hound that she's going to put a dagger through his eye. So there's a little bit of fun there where he ends up putting a dagger um, into his brother's eye. That was neat. And ultimately the way he goes out, the way he kills him, dying in fire and realizing that he's got to go over the edge with him. I just loved visually watching it play out that way. I thought for half a second he was going to lose. 
I really did. When he was getting his eyes poked out, I thought, this is not how but I expected it to go. That was a callback to that Martell fight, and that's why yeah. I wanted more. I know, but I, I didn't pick up on it in the moment. And so I just, it was, you know, you're watching it, and you're just seeing this visceral battle, and you're not necessarily catching all of the, those things in, the, in that time. You're just watching this dance, and I was I was just just really worried. Um, and pleased that, you know, he's able to keep his eyesight long enough to get his revenge. So yeah, I, I was very, very satisfied by Clegane Bowl, personally. And that brings us to a certain pairing who we now find reconvening together, um, in the keep and slowly working their way down to try and escape via little boat that Davos has placed for them. And I guess I'll just throw it to you guys first, and I will come with my thoughts later, because I actually don't know at all what you guys think about this scene. I haven't seen anything on social media from you. So, Jeremy, I'm going to ask you first. Jamie and Cersei, how do you feel about how their end was handled? But does it make, does it make sense to you? That's one question. And the other question is, do you like it? In the same spirit of the language that Aaron used so much last week in describing the episode, on my notes here, I have <laughs> Jamie and Cersei written down, and then I have giant fart noise. Um, I hated everything about that. I hated the music and the camera work around Jamie getting to the Red Keep to save her that was like this long-lost love star-crossed lover type people trying to get together with this heroic music i hated everything about their scene in the cave i hated that they died together i hate that cersei's head is still attached to her body i hated everything about it it was garbage danny going crazy does not make cersei not a villain she is the villain of the story and her death was completely completely unearned and i felt it was almost felt like a hero's death as opposed to the satisfying despicable horrible death that she deserves i giant fart noise is how i would use to describe that whole scene i have so many words that are not family appropriate to describe how i feel about this i think that them giving her a death unfitting for all that she's done is somewhat in the style of game of thrones However, the fact that they gave them almost a romantic death is what I have a problem with. Like you said, it's like a hero's death. That That is a problem for me. I almost wish that, like, they had made it out of there and all of a sudden, like, I don't know, a bunch of refugees were flooding into the waters to escape the fire and they tipped over her boat and they drowned. Like, to me, like, that would have been something that would have been better than them holding each other while the Red Keep collapsed on top of them. I do find it an interesting twist on the prophecy that Cersei's younger brother would like she would die with her younger brother's arms or hands around her neck because she technically did. So at least fans are getting some fan service of the prophecy there. But I just overall, there was no justice in Cersei's death. Now, I will say Lena's acting my Lanta. Holy poop. Holy fart noise. Like. She deserves everything for this episode. Like, yes, Amelia was brilliant. Don't get me wrong. She has been brilliant this whole season. Cersei's been brilliant this whole series. Lena was just, her acting was perfect for this ending. I just did not like this ending for her. I'm not saying she had to die by dragon fire, although that would have been incredibly satisfying. She didn't have to die by Arya's hand. Again, super satisfying. I just, 
I don't know, when she walked past the mountain, wouldn't it have killed him to just push her over the edge? I don't know. She could have, like, caught Jamie's cloak <laughs> on the way down. I don't know. Well, I mean, I'm going to be the contrarian. I can understand where people are coming from, and I get that you would want something much more dramatic, much more punishing and torturous to kind of make her pay for her sins. But for my money, I felt that you actually said it, Aaron, perfectly. This is a Game of Thrones death. This is how often they play out. They are not the big, dramatic, overly ceremonious situation that we we can't get that for every single character is what it boils down to. And I think that the way this goes with Jamie and Cersei ultimately realizing and, and coming back together as these people that love each other in a disgusting yet tragic way, it's not romantic to me. It's sad that Jamie can't get past his love for her and to the point that he would just go die with her and his unborn child. Now, I guess I, again, sort of would say I've been able to relate to that in my life, that feeling of not being able to let someone go that is maybe bad for you at the time. And so it really hits me when he is unable to get away from that part of him. And I just, it's, I don't know. I, I really liked how it was handled acting wise. The fact that he told Braun in season five that he wanted to die in the arms of the woman he loves. That's clearly what happened here. I don't think Jamie needed this huge full on redemption arc. I think it was good enough for him. And ultimately they're dead and they're gone and it, and it's over and it doesn't matter how she died. In my opinion, I, I, this is for me more so than Danny though, where I do feel that the rush job hits hardest. Because when I said that not every death can be ceremonious, that's largely because we're in such a, a crunch time here. If all of these things had been spread out over 10 episodes or two seasons and we had been whittling down the roster of characters over episodes where maybe we lose one this episode and another one this next episode instead of trying to kill everybody off and do all of these major confrontations at the same time then we would have been able to overly or get more drama out of them but i was fine with it um utterly and absolutely fine with it i get why everybody else is not why many people don't like it but i thought it was fine i was satisfied I feel like, though, like you said, you know, you didn't feel like it was a romantic death for them. But like everything that you just described is incredibly poetic that he fled back to her and he wanted to die in the arms of the woman that he loves. And that's exactly what happened. Like that just screams romantic to me. Like he wanted to die with his piece of family. And I think it's, it's I think it is season one where Cersei tells it has to be season one where Cersei tells Ned why her and Jamie are bonded the way that they are. They came into this world together. They know that at the end of the day, they are yep. all that each other has. So for me, they did give him a like they gave two of the strangest character journeys a romantic ending and I don't feel like they earned it. And that's, that's the sad part. That's the hard part for me is that I don't feel like they did anything to justify why they got a romantic ending. I will say, I will agree with you and say that yes, Jamie got a romantic ending. We see nothing but terror and fear and her 
realizing, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, please save my child, I don't want to die. It's not romantic for her. She doesn't go out happy to die. Jamie goes out seemingly, he's going there to die with her. Like, he's prepared for that mentally, and so I can see, I can see what you're saying. That it could be romantic for him, I don't think it's romantic for her. I think she is exhibiting humanity in that moment for maybe one of the first times in stating that she doesn't want her child to die right now. Like she actually wants them to live and she's feared for her life and she's never really, she's always tried to be too strong to let that out. And it comes out here and she goes out crying and scared, not calm in my opinion. Um, but I get it again. Rush job is the biggest culprit here. I think of everything. Like mm-hmm. all yeah. the actors that have been interviewed about their character's demise have all agreed that the writing is what suffers. I think that the acting of this season is probably some of the best we've seen from most of these main characters for the entire series. But even they would agree. Like I know Lena was really not happy with the way that her character ended up. And em- Amelia has openly said that she was not happy with the way that they wrote Danny's turn, so to speak. So, I mean, like, even the actors uh, realize that the writing is what suffers. The cinematography isn't, the directing certainly isn't, and the acting isn't, but they're doing the best with what they have. Well, last topic for us in the story is Arya's miraculous ability to stay alive amidst all of the chaos, multiple buildings falling on her, and soldiers attacking in the street, and dragons breathing fire while everyone else dies except her. But that's neither here nor there, because she survives, and Deus Ex White Horse appears. Did you guys like this, and what do you think it means? Aaron, you go first. All I'm going to say is that if I'm not mistaken, Danny has green eyes, and I'm going to leave it at that. Also, I'm terrified of horses, so I wasn't particularly a fan of the scene, but that's for personal reasons. Jeremy? I don't think that I really cared for anything that happened with Arya in this, especially after her conversation with the Hound. seemed like she was wearing, I love the term, plot armor. She was wearing a tremendous amount of plot armor to stay alive when all of those other people, including Aaron Rodgers, died. Did you see that? That was Aaron Rodgers is in this episode? Yeah. Oh, so, yeah, I saw yeah. yeah. So, I mean, he basically had the same thing happen to him, and he was killed that she was just got up and was fine later. So I did not enjoy anything about the end of that. But I do think that definitely, like Aaron said with the green eyes, she is poised to be the person that ends the Mad Queen, I believe, right now. 100% agree. I think that that is what we're being set up for. That is what she has turned away, kind of prophetically to be done. The Hound you know, sets her path so that she can stay alive. It's a call to Revelations you know, 6, 7, verse 7 and 8 in the Bible, where it says, talks about this and talks about uh, the white ashen horse and who sat on death it had the name Death. Wh- death right in, yep. Absolutely. And, and the rest of that verse is that authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. And what it's saying is to go and kill that which needs to be purged. And I mean, the idea of now Arya being on this white horse as death, being given the authority to go purge the wor- world of this madness that Danny has just unleashed is definitely poetic. It's mythological. It's in line with a fantasy story. For sure. Again, I'm not a super fan of Arya, so we know that I don't particularly love this. I will say 
that I thought it was a little over-dramatized in this moment. We got a lot of slow-mo. We got, it just, it felt out of place to me. It felt like the rest of the episode was pretty standard, kind of low-level, ground-level stuff. And this just kind of took it into almost dreamlike type of situation when she wakes up and sees this horse. There's also an image I saw online. Uh, somebody had found and, and zoomed in the little girl that she is trying to save with the woman over and over throughout the course of her running around the keep. They eventually get burned. That little girl is holding a statue of a white horse. So there's theories that maybe she's just imagining this. Maybe she's still, you know, not conscious yet. And we're seeing her in a dream. I don't know. All that stuff's crazy. But ultimately, I think you're right. I think it's being set up for her to go kill Danny. And that brings us to final predictions for the end. And there is a lot left to be wrapped up in the final 90 minutes. I honestly have no idea how it's going to be done. I, I mean, it's kind of making me nervous because there are so many characters like Bran. We don't know what's going on with Bran, Brienne. There's like all these people. What about Dorn across the seas? We've got Yara. There's all these people out there. Things have to find a way to be wrapped up. And I just am not at all. I'm, I'm just very, very anxious about seeing how that plays out. The other thing specifically with Arya for me is that the show is telegraphing 100% without a shadow of a doubt that she is death on this horse and she's going to go kill Danny. And if anything, Game of Thrones has taught me that whatever it's trying to telegraph is not what's going to end up happening. So, so I will say my predictions are, I think that Arya is ultimately going to get killed by Danny somehow, some way, and that that is going to be the trigger for John killing Danny. I think that uh, John and or Bronn are probably going to be involved in killing Drogon. I think Bronn might pop back up to finish his arc out somehow by protecting Tyrion. Uh, he, when he left, he said that he was going to keep an eye on him because one of those two had to stay alive for him to get his claim. And I think it would be a little bit of a sweet character arc finale for Braun because he actually did care for Tyrion at one point in their lives. And if he's going to exhibit that, it would be for Tyrion and not for Jamie anyway. If Tyrion does die, I fully expect that he will. I'm going to be crushed because I love him so much. Um, I think Sansa is going to end up ruling, I think, over the north. I think the throne will be dissolved. And I think John will ultimately live and go north with Tormund and Ghost. Those are kind of my guesses. What about you guys? Jeremy, I'll let you go first. What do you think is going to happen? As far as the Iron Throne, I'm with you in that I believe that Sansa will be in charge of the north. I believe that overall it will be dissolved and seven kingdoms will have seven kings or queens and whatnot. I'm honestly anticipating kind of like a lost finale here where there are going to be several threads that have been dangling for a long time that it's just not going to get wrapped up because of the time so i'm fully anticipating to not hear the end of several of the storylines that you mentioned and just having to learn to be okay with that aaron what about you i definitely agree with jeremy on the storyline um aspect and i've been saying that for a while that they're not going to wrap everything up and I, we all just kind of have to accept that they're going to be unanswered questions just like there are with any tv show um whenever it finishes there are always things that we as fans want more of you know all of us will never be satisfied until something happens with brienne or i mean me personally i'll never be satisfied until Tormund comforts her but 
there are just things that we kind of have to accept that this all has to come to an end somewhere or another. So they have to actually end the game of Thrones. So yeah, I think that a meteorite is just going to come crashing down and everybody's going to die. Dinosaurs will take over the earth again and all will be well. But if that doesn't happen, I think that Davos should be on the Iron Throne. I just like the symbol, like the symbolism of that. It'll never happen. But I just, I don't ever see Sansa leaving the North. However, I do think that she's one of the more competent rulers, but I could also see her going not full-blown Cersei, but like 70% Cersei. She learned so much from her, and that move with Tyrion was straight out of the Cersei freaking handbook. It would not surprise me if Sansa did not want to, like, she is used to being that little dove from the earlier seasons. She now has power, she knows how to wield it, and she does, like, you can tell, especially when Jon came back to the North after being gone for so long. She does not want to yield her power at all. So it would not surprise me if she ended up on some in some form of leadership. I honestly, I feel like if we think Tyrion's going to die because that's what's supposed to happen, I feel like he's not going to. I'm surprised Varys lasted as long as he did with Littlefinger dying two seasons ago. Two seasons ago or one season ago? Can't remember. Last so season. I don't know. Oh, thank you. Oh, that episode was so good. I don't know. I don't think that a, a, a governmental system that's like this can just be dissolved. I don't think that it's possible to have something like that. But with King's Landing being literally on fire, I don't see how much else they can do with that specific city. But I don't necessarily think that their leadership structure will be completely dissolved. Somebody will want to rebuild what is left of King's Landing. I think it all comes back, though, to that vision that Danny had whenever her dragons got kidnapped, where she was walking through the throne room and everything was burned and covered in ash. So I definitely don't see her ending up on the Iron Throne. I think Arya will end up killing her, but I think that there will be a moment where Danny, John will confront Danny, and you guys are saying that, you know, you think Arya will die and that will, or that uh, something's going to happen that's going to force John's hand. I think it, I, I'm surprised it didn't come up in this episode because she's hinted at it twice now. Um, I feel like she's going to ask John to kill Sansa for her spreading those lies to like telling Tyrion the truth. She only had one possible outcome in that moment. So I'm surprised Danny hasn't mentioned what what needs to happen for her not only to then have control over the North, but also get rid of the threat that is Sansa. So something is going to happen that has to force the last of the Starks to finish. And part of me feels like at the very end of this, we're just going to see brand's face and his stupid blank stare and he's going to come out of a trance and this will all be a vision and the battle of winterfell hasn't even happened yet it's all brand waking up from being yeah. pushed out of the tower by jamie exactly like Nothing i feel like it's, it's gonna be like a harry potter moment where he just wakes up under the stairs and it's all been a dream uh, I I it's, care, it's like, bob newhart <laughs> waking up in bed next to suzanne blachette saying you will not believe the dream, believe the dream i just I had, just had. As long as they don't do a forward like they did with Harry Potter, where it's like 19 years later, then I'll be fine. Yep. I just I want the story to close out. Either. Sounds good. Well, a week, less than a week, and we're going to get it, whether we want it, whether we're ready for it or not, one way or the other. It's going to be it <laughs> finished up. Uh, listeners, if you're not aware, there is a two-hour making of documentary about Game of Thrones and the people who made it. That will be airing, I think it's May the 26th, whatever the Sunday is of Memorial Day weekend. So it's the week after the finale airs. You'll get one more week of Game of Thrones content newly uh, put out by HBO. So be sure and check that out as well. We're not going to cover that, of course. But we will be back next week to talk about the series 
finale. So everybody cross your fingers, say your prayers, and send your good vibes out that it will be everything we want it to be. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you soon.